Today's reading is from Romans 6, 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, and therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the death by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from death, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives for God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, today is a very, very special day. Um, baptism is my favorite celebration that we have as a church because it's such a powerful testimony of transformation. And it's a picture of what Jesus has done for us. And it's incredibly important to the Lord. In fact, the, the word baptizo, which would be the, the Greek form, appears either as a verb or a noun 75 times in the New Testament. And so it's something that obviously God recorded a great deal of information about. It's significant. Now, with that, as we begin to examine baptism and what it means, there are some clarifications we need to make because we want to understand what the Scripture says. Part of that is an understanding that for salvation itself, in order to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, salvation, or excuse me, baptism isn't a necessity from that standpoint. It doesn't save us by itself. Um, we have the evidence of what Jesus said to the thief on the cross. Today, you will be with me in paradise. There was no opportunity for, for him to possibly be baptized. And yet, he was assured that he had been saved because he had cried out to the Lord Jesus. Now, whereas it's not necessary for salvation, it is necessary for the Christian. And this is why I want you to hear a very important aspect. Because Jesus has commanded us to be baptized. Therefore, to not follow in that would be in disobedience to the Lord's command. So where we want to understand what it is, we also want to be obedient to what the Lord has commanded us to do. It's incredibly, incredibly important to the Lord. Now, as an international church, we, and, an, and a multi-denominational church, we come from a variety of different backgrounds in the method of baptism. As, um, as I have studied and examined the scriptures, I have a conviction from the scriptures about the method of baptism. However, hopefully, 
the Lord has given me enough wisdom to understand that others have equally studied just as strenuously, and they've arrived at a somewhat different conviction about the method of baptism. Here's where it comes together, though is we would all agree, whatever traditions we may come from, we would all agree on the importance of baptism. And here's, here's maybe a way to, to look at it. This has been helpful for me. You know, I tend to be very visual if you've been here for a while and listened to me. I see baptism as the diamond of the faith in the life of a Christian. Now, diamonds are amazing, amazing gems, And when you're looking at a diamond, a jeweler may look at the clarity, or he may look at the cut, or he may look at the facet or the size, how many carats the diamond is. And each of those are unique ways to look at the diamond, and based upon how he's trying to sell it to, he may emphasize one over another. But the fact is, it's a diamond filled with beauty. And we don't want to lose sight of the incredible beauty of the diamond because we're so focused on one facet. And so whereas we come from different methods, we want to emphasize the beauty of what baptism is. And so today I'm going to very briefly look at a few of the facets um, of baptism in order to, to help us see the significance of what is being portrayed. Whatever the method it takes, these are the things that each group, each believer is saying about baptism. And here's the truth. Uh, One of the beautiful things about being an international church and coming from so many different backgrounds is we get to find ways to focus in on the things that we agree on. And guess what? In heaven, we get to do the same thing. We're not gonna be divided by, you know, here's the thing. I will make a confession ahead of time. I'm going to find out I was wrong about a number of things. I am absolutely convinced that that is true because my intellect, my understanding of our amazing God, I recognize is limited. And yet we get to learn from one another, celebrate together, and discover things about the Lord together. I put in the newsletter an important an uh, uh, important quote from R.C. Sproul, a person who I greatly respect, his writings, and I've read many of his books. His, his practice, his method, his conviction is slightly different than mine, but he gives some great wisdom, and he says, the question of the mode of baptism should not divide Christians. The issue has been examined and debated for 2,000 years, but we're not in full agreement still. This is an area of church practice where we are called to forbear with one another and not cast aspersions against those who practice a mode different than the one that we prefer. The bottom line is that everyone is trying to say basically the same thing through whatever mode is employed, that the recipient is included in the body of Christ, that he or she has been cleansed from sin, and therefore the modes should not divide us. And I think that is, that is true. So let's look at this, and we're going to look at some different facets really quickly. First of all, you begin to encounter baptism in the New Testament at the ministry of John the Baptist. I'm going to call him so it gets a little less confusing, because that doesn't mean the denomination he was a part of. It just means what he was known for doing, okay? He may have been a Methodist. I don't have a clue, okay? Don't don't have an idea. It's John the Washer, okay? That's really what his name meant. 
And he was there, and John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. There had been 400 years of silence, and he begins um, to minister there as the Lord had called him up in the spirit of Elijah and to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. And a significant part of his ministry was baptism, a baptism of repentance, And I got to tell you, this turned Jerusalem and Israel upside down because if you were a, especially a religious leader in the days when John came on the scene and the the authority with which he spoke the truth, you would have been shaken because what he was proclaiming was something that would have been unwelcomed to the ears of a religious leader because it was saying Your traditions, your religion is not enough. Your traditions will not bring you into a right relationship with God. Something is missing. And in Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, it says this, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, last week we looked at a a mikvah, which is the the ritual um, bath, immersion, that you would take if you were a Gentile who wanted to become a follower of, of Yahweh, of God. You would have to go through several steps the last of which is you would have to take this bath where you would be immersed into water and you would come out and they would say, you are like a new child. In other words, you are like being born again, what Jesus said to Nicodemus. But that was only for people who weren't Jews. And what John is saying is that all of us need to be born again. All of us need repentance. We all need to recognize that on our own, we cannot be good enough. I can't practice religion well enough to be right with God. I need a Savior. And the message of John was, you need to turn around. You need to stop going the direction that you're going, and you need to turn around and recognize that there is a problem spiritually in your life. And from there, his ministry began to proclaim that one was coming who would baptize not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with power or with fire, speaking of Jesus Christ, meaning that the ministry and the baptism that Jesus would initiate in his new covenant would be absolutely transformative. It wouldn't just be a point of turning around. It would be new Life. That's why he said, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals because what he is bringing is something revolutionary. In fact, he, in his own words, he said, behold the Lamb of God who is the one who takes away the sins of the world. That's what Jesus came to do. So, John the Washer was a turning point in the ministry and the, and the teaching to point people to a personal responsibility to respond to God individually. They couldn't just um, rely upon the religious practices. They needed to make a response individually. And God, through his Holy Spirit, was prompting hundreds and thousands of people to be baptized there in the River Jordan. 
And I gotta tell you something that, uh, I've had the privilege of helping to baptize over 200 people in the River Jordan. And I did it about this time of year. And I don't know that you know this, but the River Jordan is fed by snow melt from Mount Hermon. It's cold. If you think that's cold, try standing in it for 200 people because I couldn't feel my feet for three days after that. But it was the most joyful, amazing thing ever. It's incredible. And they were going out person after person. But what about Jesus himself? Because Jesus chooses to be baptized. I want you to show, show you this briefly. In Matthew chapter 3, this is so amazing. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and, and do you come to me? See, John recognized who Jesus was. He may not have fully comprehended all the aspects of his divinity, but he recognized that this person is the one who's bringing salvation. And, and he humbled himself. And that's why he said things like, he must increase and I must decrease. But Jesus, verse 15, but Jesus answered him and said, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. You see, in Jesus' heart and mind, he wanted to be obedient to everything. He wanted to fulfill because he was absolutely perfect. And so he wanted to set an example for all of us. Then he consented in verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus had no reason to be baptized for sin. He was perfectly sinless all of his life. We have a great high priest who can understand our ways, who is like us in all ways except without sin. There was no reason for repentance in Jesus' life. And yet in obedience, what he did was he chose to be baptized as a proclamation of obedience to the Lord and also as an opportunity to begin his ministry and so the Father would point to his true identity. You see, I believe that is one of the most significant aspects about baptism. It is pointing to our new identity in Christ Jesus. And I am convinced that whereas we cannot hear it audibly, God the Father takes great joy when we are baptized. And he recognizes and says, that is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. That is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That step of obedience to the Lord brings him pleasure. And it was that moment in Jesus' life that began his ministry. It declared his true identity that he wasn't just a carpenter from Nazareth. He wasn't just a rabbi. He was the son of God who came to bring other people into a relationship to bring them into adoption through faith in what he has done into the family of God. Now, I talked for a moment and said there are differing debates about methods, about how you're to be baptized. Would anyone like to absolutely see the definitive word on how you're to be baptized? 
I'm going to cause great division. I'm going to show you exactly how you're supposed to be baptized. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Because Jesus, in his own words, tells us exactly how we are to be baptized. It's awesome. Here's the thing. When God has something that is incredibly important to his heart, he makes sure that it's clear. There may be other aspects to where there is flexibility and freedom based upon circumstances, based upon cultures, but he makes sure he communicates very clearly that which is most important to his heart. Here's what he says. Matthew 28, I'm going to start in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I don't know about you, but I take great comfort in that little statement. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Today we're baptizing folks from at least four, I think five different nations. Isn't that cool? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Did you see how Jesus told us we're supposed to be baptized? If you missed it, let me read it. Maybe you don't like the ESV. I'll read it in a different translation. I'll just read the key verse. Therefore, here's the New International. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The how is to do it in the name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, because we're familiar with that, we're familiar with the idea of God being one being in three persons, at least to some degree, even though there's a mystery, um, we have a tendency to skip past that. Don't skip past that. This is absolutely huge. This is a declaration of the Trinity. Whereas the word Trinity never appears in the scripture, Jesus is affirming his relationship, his equality as God with the Father and the Holy Spirit's equality as God with the Father and with the Son. And he's saying when you're baptized, You are baptized in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit because you are coming into union with them. This is what is most important. This is the distinction of our baptism is that it talks about a new relationship. And in the scripture, the name represents the whole person, the character of that person. And so what Jesus is saying is you're baptizing in the name because this is going to change who you are because you now have a relationship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. In order to follow me, you're going to need that relationship. You're going to need to live as a child of God. You're going to need to follow me as my servant and follow what Jesus has commanded and done. And you're going to need the power, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in order to live a life that is transformed. That's how a disciple, a follower of Jesus is made. It's a relationship with all three. And the name of the Father reflects that when you trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, he gives you a new identity in relationship to the Father. We are adopted through Jesus as children. And this adoption is not as a stepchild. 
It's not like he, that God has favoritism and likes some children more than others, which, if we're honest, is what we think when we compare ourselves to others. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us just how much this means to God the Father. Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which with he has blessed us in the beloved. That's who God calls you if you've trusted him. And for those of you who are being baptized today, that's what I want you to hear God say. I want you to hear him saying to you, you are my beloved child. You have a new identity. You're not defined by your sin, by your failure, by your mistakes. You're defined by your relationship with me. That's what it means to be baptized in the name of God of the Father. In the name of the Son, goes beyond that and gives us a new purpose and a new ownership. We are united in Jesus and we are to serve to further his mission and his purpose. We're to recognize that he is Lord. And when people come for baptism, we ask if they believe that Jesus is their Savior and if they will choose to follow him as their Lord. It's a change in direction of our life and ownership before the Lord. This is what we read about in Acts chapter two. And then finally, in the name of the Holy Spirit, there is new power. We are filled with the Holy Spirit and we are to live by his power and by his presence. People, uh, excuse me, Peter told the early church that when you come to Jesus in faith, you receive the Holy Spirit. He comes and fills your life with wisdom, with power, with understanding, with comfort, with teaching, with resources to overcome sin. He changes everything about how you can live. That's why Jesus said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit changes our identity, It changes our purpose. It changes our power because we become new. That is the message. That's what we celebrate in baptism. And I I love um, how in some cultures, and we actually have this today, um, today, Abhi is from India, and he is, one of the things that was really important to him about his baptism is he wanted to choose his baptism name. You see, from, from many cultures, when you get baptized, you, you change your name, or at least you add a name to it that is your baptism name that speaks of that new identity. And, and the name he's chosen is William, that that's in Christ part of how he wants to be known. You see, because there's a recognition that this is changing us. And here's the thing, maybe you were baptized a long time ago. Maybe it was a covenant baptism and, and you don't necessarily remember the details of it, but you, you, you understand the circumstances. You want to look back and say, this was a moment that defined your identity. You're putting your faith in Jesus Christ in fulfillment, 
changes who you are. And that changes how we're able to live. Two more points before we get to the more important part of, of seeing baptism. It's a sign of the new covenant. In the Old Testament, the, co- the sign of the covenant was circumcision. But circumcision was always a physical symbol of a spiritual inner reality. Just being circumcised did not make you uh, a child of God or, or a, um, a child of Abraham per se. God spoke of an inner transformation. Let me show this to you in Deuteronomy because this applies to baptism as well. Just being baptized doesn't change us, that physical act. It is the transformation that happens in the heart. Here's what God says about circumcision. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 16, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So therefore, love the sojourner. For, the so, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear he is your praise. You see, what God was telling them is it's not just this physical act, it's an inner transformation. That's what has to be real. And that's what we have in baptism as well. It is a portrayal of something that happens inside when we place our trust in Jesus Christ. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. But baptism is the symbol of the new covenant. As we've been looking at the covenants in the past, we, we, we've seen how they all come together in Jesus Christ, all those old covenants. And it is the symbol of the covenant. And finally, when we are baptized, we are baptized into Christ's death. And this is one of those times where the transliteration of, of the word, um, I think, doesn't quite carry the weight that it should. The passage that Michaela read for us earlier, it says this in Romans, 3, Romans 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? What that means is we were immersed, we were covered over by the death of Jesus Christ. That's what's pictured in baptism, is that your sin, your old life, your selfish nature is covered over by the death of Christ. But that's not the end of it. The next part says that not only are we buried with Christ in baptism, but we rise again to newness of life. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He rose again to prove his victory over sin and death and the grave. And if you're in Christ, if you've trusted him as your Savior and your Lord, then you have new life. And those two come together. That's what we celebrate today is new life. Life, a new person in Christ Jesus. In essence, baptism says, turn around. Bury sin and self with Christ. Rise up in him through faith in him because you are a new person in Christ with a new purpose and a new power. Now live united to Jesus and enjoy 
intimacy, true intimacy with God. That's what it's all about. Now today, as the folks are coming in just a moment to be baptized, after they come up out of the water, I'm gonna remind them that when you're baptized, you're declaring not only your faith in Jesus, but also your desire to follow him all the rest of your life. And Jesus made clear to us, he said that you, my followers, are the salt of the earth, that you are to be a preservative in the world around you, that you're to flavor the relationships of the lives around you. He also said you are the light of the world. You are to carry the light of his love and of his truth into every relationship, every part of your life, into the workplace, into school, into your families. Everywhere you go, you are to shine in such a way so that others see your good works and give glory to God the Father. This is what happens at baptism. It's a proclamation of I am following Jesus from now on.